Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Coaching Call podcast. On this podcast, we'll cover various types of coaching by trainers in sports, martial arts, fitness, and business. We'll discuss each coach's methods to getting the most out of their respective athletes or clients and how they attempt to change the platform in which they coach. Join us on a fun adventure as we discuss unique coaching styles. We've all been coached before, in school, at work, or on a team. Your first coaches were your mom and dad who taught you how to communicate, tie your shoes, or play a simple game of catch. Coaching is a universal part of how we get others to get something done. Join your host, Raphael, and his guests on this unique journey in coaching. Hi, I'm Sifu Raphael, and this is the Coaching Call Podcast. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. If you enjoy my show, go ahead and buy me a cup of coffee. Make it a large. To donate, go to paypal.me slash Raphael. That's S-I-F-U-R-A-F-A-E-L. I'm trying to keep this podcast free of advertisements. Anything you can donate is greatly appreciated. Thank you. We're talking about our our nature, who we actually are underneath all this other stuff. It's who we actually are, our essential nature. And it's it's not bad. My guest today is Andrew Safer. Andrew's a mindfulness instructor and trainer. His five-minute meeting with the great Zen master, Suzuki Roshi, in 1968, inspired him to become a practitioner for the last 53 years. Andrew, thank you so much for joining the coaching call. How are you today? I'm wonderful. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, it's my pleasure. You're a mindfulness instructor. To me, that that speaks volumes. And you're also a program director, um, a developer, right? And a workshop facilitator. Correct. But you're also an author, right? Mm -hmm. But you didn't start out with all those career choices, did you? Oh, no. They sort of organically came along. Over the years. Mm. What do you mean by organic? Let's see. It started with window washing. (laughs) Okay. And uh, that was right out of university. Are you talking skyscraper window washing? No, it was just second story residential. Gotcha. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but it was a pretty good way to make some money. And I did that for a while. But uh, both of my parents were writers, very good writers. I always read a lot. It was a biggie for me, reading. So I think the combination of those sort of pointed me in the direction of writing. And it was my major in university. And I've, uh, at this point, written four books. Mm. Seems to be a, a pattern. Well, who, who would you say, obviously, you just told me your parents did, but who would you say was your biggest influence into who you are today? That's a tough question. Uh, my favorite writer has been Dostoevsky, and mm-hmm. my favorite musician has been Taj Mahal. So if you put those two people together, okay. I think there would be a lot of influence. Uh, oh, absolutely. Not necessarily in a particular direction, but somehow I think I I got a lot from them, and as, as I was growing, probably a lot of it came from them. Mm. And then you also decided at one point in your life to get into, I guess, Zen meditation. Correct. So a lot of people don't understand meditation. I I meditate, so I I meditate every day, but a lot of people don't understand the concept behind it. And some people think that, you know, you just have to sit in the the darkness and whatnot. There's so many misconceptions of, obviously, you study Tibetan Buddhist uh, tradition, right? But right. I do Tibetan martial arts, so that's kind of cool, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. At what age did you realize that obviously the mind was was really what drives everyone? But their actions obviously go with that. But that we can all derive anything we want when we start using that beautiful thing that we called our mind, our brain. Exactly. I was actually fifteen years old. Mm. Tell me about that. When I 
okay when I first uh, received the instructions on Zen meditation, which is called Zazen. Um, it was in California, and uh, I was living in Malibu. And uh, my parents took my sister and myself up to this Zen monastery called Tassajara. It was the first Zen monastery of this type uh, built in the West. And it was um, under the inspiration of uh, an incredibly powerful, very short man named uh, Shinryu Suzuki, who wrote the book Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. And so we were there for a weekend, and I just had an opportunity to meet him uh, very briefly. But that was all that was required. I was standing there talking to him and extending my hand, and he was very open. I looked at him, and when I looked at him, I just I felt like it was actually like an abyss. It was really there was something that was uh, limitless, and I got it. I got to sort of taste this sense of limitlessness mm. when I looked at him, and it, it blew me away. And uh, needless to say, I'd never seen anything like that before. Wow! So I was very inspired to do the uh, meditation practice that I learned from one of his monks, and uh, I continued with it through high school and continued for about five years in that tradition before I met Chogyam uh, Trungpa, who was a Tibetan Buddhist meditation master. And uh, also met, met him in San Francisco and moved to Colorado, which is where his center was, mm-hmm. and continued studying with him. Wow. So you, you're in Colorado now. You followed him, or <laughs> how did that come about? Well, actually, Shogun Trungpa, I was at a 10-day seminar of his, and mm-hmm. after that, there were a number of us who just decided to go, <laughs> oh, wow. you know, so we could keep uh, practicing and studying with him. It wasn't exactly like a Kool-Aid, you know, type thing. Right, right. I got you. But it was just, there was something really genuine. And uh, so we just wanted to be uh, able to continue with that. So I moved to Colorado. Mm. Yeah. Older. Oh, nice. Nice. What made you decide to become a mindfulness instructor or coach, if you will? Right. That's a great question. Because it's not that long ago that, very few people knew the word mindfulness. Mm. When I moved to from Halifax to St. John's, Newfoundland, just about 14 years ago, uh, I was curious uh, about what was happening in the realm of meditation, mindfulness, and so on. And it was getting more and more momentum. And it was uh, clear that the people, the pundits, uh, were saying that there's going to be one main shortage, which is going to be qualified, trained instructors. Because mm. you can't turn that around overnight. You know, it's right. something that takes, obviously, years. That got me thinking that uh, maybe I'd have something to offer. And because my, my training was excellent, it doesn't mean that I was any good, but the training was, was excellent. So uh, that was in the 1970s and 1980s. Right. And then continuing. Uh, I put all of that together, and I said, you know, I'd really like to give this a shot. Like, I've never tried to do it professionally. Mm-hmm. It was all very private. But because of the direction the world was going, it seemed like there's an opening for it. Does that mean that, it, not like a job posting, right? It was more like <laughs> like people needed this, right? And, and you found that people were looking for the gifts that you had, right? Is that is that what you mean? Yeah, I I wouldn't be talking about my own gifts, but uh, I Why would not? say, you them. <laughs> <laughs> right? I would say that yeah, the way you put it was was very good. It, it was clear that there was a need, and the opening was that there would be enough people open mm. to learning this, you know, in relation to what that need is. If if I have no idea of what this is. And I'm looking for something. How would I even know to approach you? How would I even know to approach anybody? And and what is truly mindfulness? What is it? Just me thinking? Is it me just living my life? So give me a, a greater detail of. Yep. Oh, I'm a novice. I know nothing, right? You know, and, and who can take advantage of the, of your teachings? Do they have to have already? live some some sort of a life in business can they be a teenager 
can they be in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 90s? Yeah. Break it down, big guy. <laughs> I appreciate <Okay>. that. <laughs> That's good. Another great question. Uh, so it, it's there aren't the kind of prerequisites that you were just mentioning. Mm -hmm. They have to have lived a certain kind of life, be aware of certain things. Um, it's more that, again, well, there's a need. You know, people don't always recognize uh, this kind of need because mm -hmm. it's kind of subtle. But what I say is that there's, I see that there is something that's off balance for a lot of people and in very different ways off balance. Something where maybe you, you feel that, you know, your life is good, but you're, you're missing something critical. Mm -hmm. Something essential is, is missing. Or it could be that you're um, overwhelmed because you're, you're overdoing all of these different projects and work. And so, you know, you can't be on balance because <laughs> you're sort of always uh, falling off balance mm -hmm. because you're putting yourself in this cauldron uh, where, you know, you can try to maintain your balance, but you're probably not going to. So there, there's all sorts of variations. If if people felt that their life was 100% perfect and there were no complaints, I would probably never meet them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Sorry, you were asking about what, what mindfulness is, which is a really good question. Right. So um, the way I think about mindfulness, first of all, it's attention training. We are training the attention. It's about orienting ourselves to the present moment. It's about non-judgment, which is something that we cultivate through the practice, non being non-judgmental. And it's about kindness. Mm. So there are other elements that we could add, like pausing, being, being able to stop when we're, we're involved in something mm. and, and take a break. You know, that's essential as well. So if you put all of those things together, I think you'll have uh, quite a good sense of what we're talking about with mindfulness, yeah. which is a type of training. I, I like the, the, the take a break. And would you say that that's a good time also to reflect on what you're doing? Because you were talking about what you're doing. Sometimes people, like you said, they're go, 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 go. And then eventually they're going to burn out. Right. And taking those little breaks so you can recharge, so you can reflect. And, and maybe assess the situation you're in, even if it's a, it's a happy moment, right? You ever see somebody at a party, right? And, and all of a sudden, they stop. Well, I, I, maybe I'm talking about me. <laughs> they stop. And, and you may be having a great time. And then you look around and you go, wow, I am so happy to be here. Or I'm happy that I'm, I'm near these people or that these people are in my life. And so for me, that's a reflection. And even, even it, right. it could be, you know, at a, at a happy time, or it could be a reflection at a sad time, like funeral, right? And that's where everybody has that type of reflection. They're remembering that person and what their life was like. Sure. Um, I like that it's, it's covering happy and sad. I think a distinguishing feature of mindfulness is that it's helping us to be aware of what's going on, of the circumstances, including what's going on in our body. Mm -hmm. And with that awareness, we can have a certain kind of relationship with the present moment. Without that awareness, then we're just being like, pushed along by life. And or you could almost say we're a victim, victim of circumstances. That's a good phrase. Uh, so the difference between being a victim of what's going on and having some awareness of what's going on is huge. And mindfulness helps develop that awareness. So if we use mindfulness to propel ourselves forward, and it doesn't matter the activity, whether it is family, business, mm -hmm. friendship, if we develop the way we think, the way we see things, would you say that I'm using mindfulness in order to be able to cultivate a better life for myself? I don't see a problem with that. Uh, <laughs> I, I do have to temper that sure. with 
Suzuki Roshi, who's the one I talked about at the monastery in California, mm-hmm. he's really well known for talking about beginner's mind. The title of his book is Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. And that beginner's mind is open, it's curious, it's not uh, prejudiced or, you know, making decisions. It's it's open. And uh, so that's a wonderful mind to cultivate. And we definitely do not have enough of it in the world. Um, But, you know, enough people doing mindfulness practice definitely help. Yeah. I I love the, the the beginner's mind because the minute you started talking about the beginner's mind, I automatically went to babies, right? Babies, you're right. Right. Yeah. Think about it. They are curious. Yes. They are open. They they don't know bigotry. They don't know racism. They don't know that maybe you look different than me. That nonsense that that we deal with on a daily basis, and and all they know is love. They don't know hate. Right. Babies, if we can be like babies, <laughs> if we can show our love, if we can just look at somebody and just smile. Don't get me wrong. There's babies that sometimes look at somebody and cry, <laughs> but the, the, for the most part, you can just do like peekaboo faces to a baby, and they smile. They they have that genuine love, the laughter. It just, it's automatic. And I think what happens with our society is that we kind of kill it, don't we? Yeah, we do. We kill that beginner's mindset, don't we? Such a shame that that happens. So can I just add one thing? Absolutely. I meant to connect a couple dots. So we're, you're asking if... Somebody could say uh, doing mindfulness practice is going to help them have a good life mm. or, you know, something like that. Right. And, you know, I, to be honest, I have to say, well, I think most people have an idea like that and it's, it's going to help keep them going. But the the pitfall to having a particular idea of what you think is going to happen, which is like a goal is that your mind isn't open. Mm. You know, once you say this is what I expect is going to happen, then that wonderful, beautiful baby mind you were talking about is not going to be around uh, much. There's there's quite a lot of discourse and writing on the subject in the Zen tradition in particular about not having a goal. Mm. And that is uh, threatening to a lot of people in the West, the idea of not having a goal. Right. So I don't think it means that you're just supposed to walk around aimless. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But if you can be so that you're you're not making a particular decision on what is supposed to happen, you know, if you're not doing that, then it'll be all good. I mean, there are caveats to the way we have to lead our life every day, right? Mm-hmm. So if we... Let's say we take public transportation to work, right? Mm-hmm. If we get on a bus, we know that the bus is supposed to take us to a certain stop. Or if we get on a train. Right. Or even if we get in our car and we're going to work, we expect to get to a certain place. Right. So there are things that we want to happen. We expect to happen. I was looking at one of my niece's posts today and she wrote like, Wow. I really got sidelined today. Life is like driving in traffic. You never know when somebody's going to cut you off. Mm -hmm. Somebody's going to get in your way or somebody's just going to bump you the wrong way or even give you the finger for that matter. Right? Right. We don't know, but we, we can get into a situation and hoping for the end results. And and I I like what you're talking about, the the open part, because yeah, we're not going to run around aimlessly. But we do have expectations. But I think if I tell me if I'm I'm wrong, understanding the openness is that things are gonna happen, things are gonna change. Nothing is ever status quo. Mm-hmm. It is until it isn't, right? Mm-hmm. I was gonna say, I was gonna say something else about the uh beginner's mind and yeah, the lack of uh, expectation. Mm-hmm. So I guess I wasn't I didn't make the distinction about well, you know, we're not really talking about in our daily life. 
when we're walking to the store, we expect to actually arrive there. <laughs> right. That's okay. You know, I think it's more a matter of the, the practice of mindfulness that we're talking about. Right. So when we, when we engage in the practice, and, you know, for some reason, we start a new endeavor and we, for some reason, we believe we know what it is and that we understand it already. Mm-hmm. So that qualifies us to like set up expectations and goals, you know, and plans, you know, make our plans for it. But in reality, uh, particularly in the beginning, we do not know what it's about. So we are not qualified to say, this is going to achieve this for me. Mm. See what I mean? Right. I like, I like the fact that you said we're not qualified, especially in the beginning. Because, you know, with practice, we become qualified, right? More qualified. Well, more qualified. Um, Every every practice gets us closer to becoming fully qualified. But then when we think we're fully qualified, someone else shows us a different way. So now we have to start again sometimes, right? (laughs) I, I, I love the fact that, you know, life is always evolving. Our life, your life, my life, everyone's life. And some people, and I don't, I still don't get this. People are terrified of change. They want everything to be the same. Meanwhile, they don't realize that they have changed, you know, Mm -hmm. because they're not wearing the same clothes they were when they were 10 years old. (laughs) I mean, maybe, maybe they were, maybe they are, but I doubt it for the most part, right? We've all grown. I mean, our hair grows, our face changes, our body changes. We go through this evolution, if you will, mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. not only a physical growth, but a mindset, a mind growth. Because the way we thought of something 10 years ago is totally different, mm-hmm. unless you're stuck in a time warp or something, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you help someone truly? get deep into the mind work in order for them to start to have a better life? Well, mindfulness and meditation are deep. There's a lot to it. It's not just, okay, I'm going to sit here for 10 minutes and, you know, no matter what happens, okay, that's, that's it. That's what's supposed to happen. It's, again, particularly in the beginning, but this is true all along, very much so, that we do not know what is going to happen. We do not know what this is about. We have some basic guidelines uh, from the instruction of how we relate to our breathing and coming back to the breathing and, and our posture, a uh, particular way, uh, with our posture. So we have guidelines, but, mm. you know, then there's our mind, like the, uh, it's the monkey mind. It's one thing is popping into our head, and then the next second it's something totally different. <laughs> yes. and it just keeps going on like that, like popcorn. Mm. And we don't have really any agency about what it is that we're going to be dealing with, uh, as you all know. So it, it's not a matter of eventually we are going to have a handle on that activity. We're going to know what's going on, et cetera. No, that, that's never going to happen because of the, the randomness of the mind. Nobody can predict what the next thing is going to be. You know, like I just thought of a song that's at least 40 years old that I haven't thought of. <laughs> really? You know, in that amount of time. Uh, it's called Mr. Soul by Buffalo Springsteen. I have never thought of that song, and I don't know why I did yesterday, day before. Um, but it was a delight. I looked it up on YouTube, and I really had a good time listening to it. But cool. the point is, we don't know what is coming next, and there's no way that we can. So however experienced we are at meditation, we're still not going to know these things. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a pretty refreshing thing, because we're used to applying ourselves and getting really good at something. You know, And in this case, there are definite limitations on what, what we can get good at. Yeah, I, I like the fact that you said you, and you enjoyed that memory, right? Because, and, and 
when we think about the mind, it is so complex. And no matter how they try, they will never create a computer like our mind. Right. And because you know what? We can remember things when we were babies. And yes, sometimes there's a fleeing thoughts, but they're in there. And then sometimes, like you just thought of a song, and then you go, wow, let me go check it out. But <laughs> But it's, it's that, that beauty that we have internally, right, that we have in us that sometimes we don't think about, that we even take for granted, that sometimes we need to deprogram ourselves to let go, right? And I, to me, that's, that's where your meditation is, where you're mm -hmm. not thinking of anything, but you're mm -hmm. letting your subconscious come into play right i mean that's the way i see it that's that's how it works for me anyways but the, the beauty of that is that at any given time a word a smell a thought can bring up a whole slew of emotions and feelings and and like feeling of deja vu it's like mm. have i done this before Right. And, and that all comes from truly being open and listening to, to ourselves, right? There's a lot of people, and I had a conversation with someone recently, and a lot of people are afraid of being alone. They don't understand the beauty in it. Mm. And sometimes they even lie to themselves, and, and they do all these things to try to hide the truth even from themselves. One of the things I said is that it doesn't matter where you go, you will always be there. So you, you have to live in that moment, right? Because you will always be there. You know, if you go up on the third floor, guess what? You're there. You go to the basement, you're there. You get on a plane, you're there. <laughs> no matter where you go, you will be with you. Right? So it's that, that understanding of us and, and accepting us fully, I, I think, is, is the beauty that we can bring in. So let me ask you, Andrew, how do you help someone with anxiety? Because I think that that, especially with the pandemic, I, I know a lot of people really suffered with anxiety. Yeah. And, and not even forget the pandemic. I mean, they, that was already there anyway for, for a lot of people. And it just heightened yeah. their anxiety. Once yep. we had a shutdown across the whole world, so anxiety, boom, shot up to the, to the top of the mm -hmm. roof, right? Mm -hmm. How do you help someone with anxiety? I mentioned before that looking at that we're off balance, mm -hmm. and I think this applies to people dealing with anxiety for sure. It's the feeling of, you know, that you can never rest, you can never relax. There's always something to be careful about or worry about mm. or to be afraid of. So you have this influence on you all the time. It's working on you all the time. And that's keeping you off balance. Right. Um, so it, it's very difficult, obviously. Um, some people really suffer with, with anxiety. To start with, working on the connection between ourselves and the physical world. Okay, so it's really our our feet and the floor. It boils down to bringing our awareness there, so that uh, we're we know that there's this connection between ourself and the floor, which is really the earth, ourself and the world. Yeah, grounding, right? Yeah, grounding, exactly. So I think it's got to start there, and uh, not just start there, but continue there in a big way. To the point where after we usually have uh, between eight and 12 week programs, after a number of weeks, someone, you know, the person is in a position to uh, be trying out the practices and exercises, you know, that we've been doing in the group mm -hmm. um, and recognizing the importance of, uh, of grounding in, in a situation, let's say uh, someone is afraid of going outside their house. Okay, so they're they're just very distraught because 
they really want to go out, but they're not going to go out. Right. So it's that a push-pull, it's uh, creating that lack of balance. And that person, depending on the practice, have to actually do the mindfulness practice, ideally do it regularly, and you're sort of inculcating yourself with uh, uh, a healthier way to be. So if the person's been doing the practice regularly, there's a fair chance that you know, when they are feeling anxious, that they will remember, uh, put their attention on their feet and on the floor. So that is giving them a real world connection, one that is not subject to, you know, this uh, changeability and, and, and freaking out. Right. And so it, it's giving them a reference point, which is the same reference point. And then the other uh, aspects of the practice can be layered into that, not the least of which is recognition of of our thoughts. So, you know, if, when you're feeling anxious, you're going to have anxious thoughts. And it, we're not talking about uh, classifying them as either good or bad thoughts. But we're saying, okay, these thoughts, let's actually take a look at them, see what they're like, you know, which requires awareness and so forth. And when we start to look at our thoughts, we become less victims of our thoughts, where we have more agency, we have more options. So that's quite important. Uh, If the person really wants to deal with their anxiety, these are a couple of the important elements. I like the the grounding aspect of it, because I think that, that allows us to, because our feet are so have so many sensory mm-hmm. points right um just like our hands and so forth but if if we're able to connect right so a lot of um people who are afraid of public speaking that's one of the advice that is given to them is like take your mm-hmm. shoes off feel it get, <laughs> yeah. get, get in get into the space you're in right yeah understand get the feeling get the nerves out relax and i think that we're constricted by our socks, our shoes, our footwear, right? Right. And thinking back to babies, babies don't like to put on shoes, right? We try to take <laughs> them off at first, right? Right. And it, it's it's we keep constricting, constricting, constricting. So I like the analogy of be unconstricted. Take your shoes off. Feel the mm-hmm. earth. And a lot of times, even I suggest to people is walk on grass, walk on the beach, mm-hmm. even get your feet dirty. I mean, walking on asphalt is not going to do you any good, but go to dirt, right? Walk on dirt, walk on grass, walk on grass, feel the earth. Yeah. Can I just say something about that? Yes. This was when I lived in Nova Scotia and they have the mud flats mm. around minus basin and so forth. A friend of mine recommended a, a fortune teller. So I went to her house and it was very interesting what she was saying, but I couldn't really relate to a lot of it mm-hmm. until she said at the end, you need to go across the street to the mud flats, take off your shoes and socks and stick your feet in the mud. So that's what she advised me to do. And it happens to have been a very cold time of year. So mm. it was actually almost ice. Oof. It was, it wasn't quite ice, but it was, you know, it was close. And so I went over there and, and, <laughs> and it was so cold that it, it felt like I was being electrified. Wow. And I did have this very complicated problem and state of mind right. going into that. <laughs> When I stuck my feet in there, went away. It's like it, like everything went away, including whatever my problem. Nice, nice. The only time I ever did that. So you were truly grounded. I was very grounded, <laughs> and you got electrified yeah. along the way. <laughs> and that's the only time. Oh my gosh, I I can only imagine what it. You know, I, I've done it obviously, but you have to do it when it's warmer out. <laughs> right because it's such you know one of the things that i love to do is i go to the beach and the first thing i do is i get in the water i dive in i don't even care if it's hot cold doesn't matter to me mm-hmm. usually it's extremely cold mm-hmm. and i just dive in the 
But what winds up happening is I come out and then I'll go back and I'll go at the edge and I'll sit so that my feet sink into the sand and the water comes and hits. And can I tell you, my gosh, what a feeling of love and depth and, and, and just the thoughts start to come through because I am truly connected at that point. Right. With what's going on, you know? Yeah. So it's it's a beautiful thing. I mean, anybody who hasn't done it, if you're not if you're near a beach, by all means do it. If you're near, go out in the grass and go out in mud. There's no mud and there's dirt. Get a, some some water and throw it by your feet. <laughs> <laughs> get a glass of water, you know. Get a get a bottle and you know make sure you save some for you to drink. But it, it's important to connect. I think that the mindfulness part of everything is the connection, right? Mm-hmm. We we have to connect with us. Yeah, we're probably the last person that's going to remember ourselves as we are so busy looking after other people. And we have all these other responsibilities that are out there. There's a good chance that we we haven't really considered ourselves, you know, in the way that you're talking about. No, it's uh, it's so critical. When we're, we're talking about anxiety, that also brings stress, doesn't it? Yeah, stress is, is a huge element. Um, and at least for, for years with mindfulness practice, that was probably the, the principal you know, impetus for people to be getting involved because of their stress. I think uh, there are a number of, of other you know, conditions that have come along. But um, stress, the way I look at stress is that there are pressures acting on me. There are demands being made of me. They may not be explicit, but it might be implicit. We just sort of sense that this is something that I'm going to, you know, be expected to do or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so, and in the modern world, there's so much of this that they build on one another and so the, the stresses can easily become you know, overwhelming and uh, just beyond what we can deal with. Where mindfulness comes in, again, it has to do with awareness. So that we're, you know, we're, we're, we're getting used to, uh, in our sitting practice, something occurs to us. We're not acting on it, right? We're just being aware of it, and then we're sitting there, and then something else comes along, and we're aware of that. And so we're we're developing what we're calling awareness, mm-hmm. and we're we're getting used to not reacting, not being impulsive, you know, as much as before. So with stress, as soon as we can recognize that we have these pressures and, and demands being exerted on us, that's a magic moment because that's the moment of awareness, and that's where we can actually take that situation. Become proactive, right? We can right. we can remove one of these stress. Let's say you've got uh, three projects you've been working on at work, and you got three file folders on your desk, and it's all you can handle. <laughs> these three files. Your boss comes along and puts a fourth one on top and says, "I need this one done for first thing in the morning." So you've already decided that you can't do it, but it's your boss. Okay, so that's an example of. Uh, you know, of having too much stress on you. But if you're aware, if you're not just reacting to your boss putting that on your desk, if you're sort of sitting back for a moment and looking at the situation, that's where you can brainstorm some different options. And like you might decide to talk to your boss and say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do this new one. And it means that two of these other ones are going to go to the back burner for now, as an example. Right. Um, so this is where you're you're being proactive. And in the process, you're taking some of that stress off you, mm-hmm. right? Which is very different, just reacting and trying to be a perfect employee and trying to do everything. Yeah, no, that, that's, uh, that's important. The more you talk, the, the more the, the word overwhelmed yes. crept into my mind. So how do we deal? Because, you know, if we have anxiety, if we have stress, and then we become too overwhelmed, 
Now, unfortunately, some people, and there's so many different reasons for suicide, but too many people have come to being so overwhelmed that they think that's the, the answer. A lot of people call them cop-outs, uh, you know, selfish, all these different things. But they're in a position where they are truly overwhelmed. And it doesn't matter if, you know, you've, you get kids, unfortunately, who take their own lives because they're overwhelmed through bullying, right? You take an executive who's overwhelmed or overworked. And instead of doing what you suggested, it's like, hey, I, can, I'm, I, I have the capability of doing these three things. Right. You gave me a fourth, so something else has to go over. And then I'm okay with that. Which one is more important to you? Right. But a lot of people don't know how to do that. And instead, yeah. they don't have that conversation. They don't have, I knew a gentleman, a great guy, and, and such a shame. He was in love with someone who cared for him, but didn't see him romantically like he saw them. And he took his life. It was the saddest thing. Because he did not know how to deal with the fact that this person only cared for them as a friend. Mm -hmm. He didn't know how to deal with it. Instead of saying, you know what? And I tell, it's, it's like an opportunity. You know, if you miss this opportunity, guess what? There's another one. <laughs> and there's another one. And there's another one. And there's another one. Now, I don't recall ever buying an umbrella for one-time use, do you? That's <laughs> good, one. right? Yeah. Yeah. So, it it it's it's gonna rain. Sometimes it's gonna pour, and then sometimes it may be a storm where your umbrella is gonna be no good because the wind is blowing every direction. Right? How do we deal with someone? How do we help someone? Who? What signs do we look for when someone? Because I know you help people with thoughts of suicide, with someone who has even a thought, who has an inkling to saying, you know what, I'm better off gone. Yeah. Which is the saddest thing ever. It's definitely a challenge. I think I think showing like genuine support is really important so that they're not gonna feel alone with this tremendous burden. But so I think the support is extremely important. And again, uh, help them around themselves. But see, our, our thought process is so powerful that it dictates uh, our life. Mm -hmm. Whatever I have been thinking about, that is the only important thing going on here. You know, that's uh, quite common. Right. And so, you know, there are no shortcuts to this, but the mindfulness practice is showing us a, a different kind of relationship with our thoughts. And so that we are not just going to automatically be a sitting duck right. to our thoughts. And when, when someone starts to get that, uh, you know, it's, it's very powerful and it can really help them. Yeah. Because in, instead of continuing to drag these thoughts forward into the next moment, the next moment, uh, they, they see that they don't have to do that. <laughs> so that, that's very liberating right. uh, when they start to see that. Uh, it totally is. It's amazing when someone thinks that that's the end of, of their journey. Meanwhile, that I was fortunate to be somewhere where I actually saved someone's life because I was at my girlfriend's house and her roommate came over. and. Uh, she went into her room. She had a fight with her boyfriend. And she was supposed to come and do something with my girlfriend at the time. And she wouldn't come out of her room. So my girlfriend kept knocking and she wasn't answering. So we actually barged in. And she was pills all over the place. Mm -hmm. She had taken so many. But she tried mm -hmm. taking even more. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know where she even got these pills from. And so I immediately took her in the shower made her throw it up, took her to the emergency room. Mm -hmm. And, you know, after a little while, she, she came through. And as far as I know, she's happily married. She has children of her own. But it was that moment in time that her mind took over right. and did not allow her to see the beauty of what her life would be like 
And thank God I was visiting my girlfriend because I don't know if my girlfriend would have been capable of doing that. I'm sure she would have called 911. Yeah. But I took immediate action where I took her in the shower. I, I had to physically lift her, take her in the shower and start doing the Heimlich on her mm. to get her to get everything out. And once we got everything out, obviously we, we took her to the hospital. But the whole thing is, if we can intervene early enough before someone takes the pills or someone yeah. you know, does something worse, it, it's important for, for us to understand that the mind is so powerful. And the more negativity we allow it to enter, the harder it is to climb back up, isn't it? Well, for sure. Yeah, we have what, what the experts call a negativity bias. And that has to do, among other things, with our um, fight or flight and the emotion center and the amygdala and that part of the brain, uh, which is always on the lookout for a threat or danger. And so we have part of us that's always on the lookout for something really negative, <laughs> you know, if something positive is happening over here, not interested. Right? So we develop this to a fine art of uh, being focused on negative things. And I think it's helpful to even just know that we have this bias and, uh, you know, there's something biologically happening, um, you know, that's, that's keeping that going. But we can sort of counteract it if we know about it. Mm. You know, we can, if it, if it takes an effort to notice uh, the beauty of the sun uh, hitting the leaves, you know, then it's probably worth a little bit of effort. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I want to thank you for, you know, going into such deep discussion and, you know, I didn't want to bring it down, but, you know, it, it's important for us to understand that we may encounter such things, uh, whether it's uh, a friend, relative, even ourselves. And, and how to deal with this, because when we are talking about this beautiful, beautiful computer, our mind, our, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's, it's fascinating, but it can definitely take us into a, a bad situation. But then we, once we start to understand these things, then we can have the beauty that we're supposed to experience on a daily basis. And listen. Not every day is a sunny day, right? It doesn't matter what part of the country. It's not always sunny. Sometimes the moon is shining, right? Sometimes it gets dark, right? So we always know that the sun is going to come out every day, but then the moon comes out and it, they change places. With darkness, there is lightness, right? And I'm just happy that for many people, they have found the light in their life. So how do we? help someone find that light within themselves? Another excellent question. In my tradition, we have a phrase called basic goodness. And this is talking about our, our nature, who we actually are underneath all this other stuff. It's who we actually are, our essential nature. And it's, it's not bad. It's, right. say, for compassion, for wisdom, and for kindness. And we have all of those qualities within ourselves. Um, we don't have to go anywhere else looking for them. There's no merchandise that is going to, you know, sell us on these things. We have them in ourselves. The trick is that they can be pretty buried. Mm -hmm. uh, so that means that we maybe are not aware that we have these qualities. Uh, but these are, this is the light, I believe, uh, what you're asking about that we already have, and there are ways to get more in touch with, with this light and with these qualities. One is experiencing the beauty or the exquisiteness of, of this moment. Uh, when you're getting out of the shower and your foot touches down on the tile floor, which is cold, <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So you have that immediate wake up. There's something wonderful about it, even though it might not be that, uh, you know, comfortable at the moment. But it's you're connecting with such a big world just in that one movement. So that can help us uh, reconnect with these basic qualities that I was talking about. 
I appreciate that. Thank you. You know, because it is important for all of us to find that happiness inside of us, right? Because once we can find that, we should be sharing it with other people, right? We should be smiling more. We should be enjoying other people as well. Let me ask you, how many books have you written? You said four before, right? Yeah. So one of them was a violence prevention curriculum for junior high school students. Uh, but I, there were three of us who wrote that together. I was the lead writer on that one. Okay. But the other ones, uh, I was the writer. I, I've partnered with the person who, whose story you know, it was. Right. So I partnered with him, but I was the lead writer. And then my, the one I've written in this field is called Anxiety, Stress, and Mindfulness, A Do-It-Yourself Guide to Wellness. So that came out four years ago. I think that that's, that's a book that, um, you know, some people should definitely, I, I can already think of some people I'd like to give it to. <laughs> Great. Because Thank you. finding, doing it yourself in a way, because it's, it's us, right? We're the ones, you can go to a therapist, you can go to anyone. But if you're not doing the work, it's not going to work, right? So you're the one that has to do the work. So I like, I like that fact, that, you know, doing it yourself. Doing it yourself, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So that's important, yeah. How, how do my, my audience, how do they find you? How do they know about you? How do they get your books? First of all, my website, okay, my, my last name is Safer, S-A-F-E-R. So the website is safermindfulness.com. Mindfulness has only one L. Gotcha. Uh, safermindfulness.com. Uh, if you go there, it'll bring you to the homepage, and you can see you know, various things that have been happening very recently. I've been posting them lately, and uh, I will be posting a link to this once it's available very happily. Thank you. Um, the book, there, there is a tab at the top uh, that says book, but maybe the easiest thing is to go to Amazon, and, and you can look it up. Uh, anxiety, stress, and mindfulness. Andrew, thank you so much. This has been so informative and you've been such a great guest. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you. It's been a wonderful conversation. <laughs> Likewise. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Raphael. All right. Have an amazing day. You too. Take care. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I'll be back with a new episode and a new guest. You can find all episodes of the Coaching Call podcast on Apple. Anchor, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and wherever you listen to podcasts. I ask that you please leave me an honest review. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and buy me a cup of coffee. Make it a large. I'm trying to keep this episode free of advertisements. Anything you can donate to the cause is greatly appreciated. To donate, go to paypal.me backslash Sifu Raphael. Thank you and I really appreciate your help.